Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. If your mind is in a dither or your heart is in a haze, I'll haze your troubles and trouble your haze with the magic phrase. If your child just messed that up already. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to keep going. If you're chased around by trouble or you're followed by a jinx, I'll jinx your trouble and trouble your jinx. In less than 40 winks, oh, salagatula, michikabula, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Put them together and what have you got? Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Now, salagatula means michikabula rules, but the thing in my pop that does the job is Happy October to you, and thanks for joining me for episode 183 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com. Or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio. So, bibbidi bobbidi boo, y'all. <laughs> I have sung that song so many times. But the pressure, the pressure of the Blog Talk Lady Radio counting me into the show. <gasps> and then trying not to blow your eardrums out with my squeaky voice. I screwed up the lyrics right off the bat, but I hope you got the point. Words. Our ones, and we are gathered here today to talk about the language of spell casting. And that song, <laughs> that most prestigious song, Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo, I sang that song as the fairy godmother in a fifth production of Cinderella. I have so many stories about that and so many goofy memories around that. I could make this whole show just about that one experience in my life. Um, but suffice it to say, that might be my first outing as a witch. I think the fairy godmother in Cinderella was a witch. <laughs> a witch who believes in the power of words to affect real change and to cast a spell. As the lyrics say, the thingamabob that does the job is bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. The thingamabob that does the job is words. Words, which is saligadoo, lamin, la rue, abracadabra, shazam, You've heard them all, I imagine. And why do all the witches and wizards in our favorite books and movies and legends about magic use written and verbal incantations? Because words are ones. And cultural mythology, especially mythology that spans countless generations and makes its way through space and time, that kind of mythology, it reflects deep human truths. And what we, it's what we know in our hearts to be true about ourselves. And we pass these things around in the form of stories. And we know in our heart of hearts that words are ones. Words in and of themselves have the power to create real change. 
you might argue that that's what us podcasters are doing here. We're at the very least distracting you from your busy day, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe we're making your day more hectic, (laughs) but we're creating some sort of change in your mind as you listen. Words paint pictures in your mind and carefully chosen words, words chosen on purpose to provoke a desired effect can paint pictures in your mind that then begin to form outside your mind like magic in keeping with the old adage as within so without that's because those pictures that those words are creating those pictures evoke emotion and passion and an incitement to act to act on behalf of those words and the original creative impulse that longs to give them form you might also argue that the creative that creative impulse is the innate god force through you in a relentless drive to expand which is why i said the original creative impulse so whether you choose your words consciously or unconsciously your words are your wands they are creating the world that builds up around you. They are your, one of your expressions of your part in the co, of co-creating your reality. I am a very word-centric person. I am clear audience. A lot of the psychic hits that I've had in my life and intuitions that I experience, they come to me in the form of words. So I'll hear pop songs, or a poem that I know, it'll just like pop into my head and it'll be like the exact answer that I need at a certain time. They act as guidance for me. One of the greatest betrayals of my life, I've talked about this before, but it was significant. The person that betrayed me told me in my ear, I mean, not actually, but I just heard in my ear this person's voice saying exactly what this person had done, and it was all true. And I don't know how I would have known that. It was, it was magic. It was spiritual guidance. It was clear audience. I don't know. Call it what you will. And what's interesting before that is I used words that I think may have called that forward because I kept saying, I remember doing this in the shower a lot, but I kept saying, I am willing to see the truth. I am willing to see the truth. So I guess I had some idea that something was going on, but I didn't quite know what. And I kept saying, I'm willing to see the truth. I'm willing to see the truth. And then the truth whispered in my ear. I'm a big reader. I'm a word nerd. I'm a book nerd. So for me, a lot of magic spells, a lot of my spell crafting comes down to words. So this is something I'm really excited about today. I almost feel like rolling my eyes at myself for bringing this up because I feel like we've all heard it all so many times, but I'll just mention it in passing because it is absolutely relevant. Dr. Emoto, the experiments that he did where he took different glasses of water or jars of water and he put words on them like love and hate and then the water in the you know jar with the word love it flourished and then the water in the jar with the word hate 
it started to stagnate and go bad. And a lot of people in the new age community, they hold that up as evidence that words are wands and that words themselves, even devoid of an emotional context, have the power to affect change. I don't know what I think about that. I think it's very, very interesting. But for me, I always follow that witch's pyramid structure about like thought leads to motion, emotion leads to will and action and blah, 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 blah. That thing I'm always repeating here. So for me, the power of words is demonstrated in the resulting emotion. So the way I see the use of words in spell crafting, it's very personal. It depends on how different words make you feel and selecting words that feel the way you want to feel on purpose. That has a lot to do with it. And then it's like stacking the odds in your favor by layering one magical factor on top of the other. So you're not just you know, taping a word <laughs> to your shirt that says money. You're not just taping the word money to your shirt and being like, all right, Dr. Moto, I shall now be rich. For me, it ain't like that. So what I mean by layering one magical factor on top of another, I mean, you're layering words, you're layering thoughts, you're laying, layering emotions and deeds and spiritual guidance. And it all works in concert together and hopefully in alignment with your desired outcome. That is how magic works for me. And that is how the power of words come into play with spell crafting. So I guess it starts with a thought and you give that thought form by speaking a word, writing a word or both. Uh, you also might be a person who likes to layer on your magic, you know, like start stacking the odds in your favor by using symbolic correspondence which you might argue words are and letters. They're just little squiggles on a page or little sounds in the air. They're really just symbolic too. So you can get into arguing about that. But for me, in, in the general sense of the word of correspondence, like herbs that correspond to this and planetary correspondences, I don't get too deeply into that when I'm doing magic. Raising energy through dance, which I love to do, or volume or inflection when I'm speaking, volume or inflection, using a sing-songy voice, using rhyme, um, that can, that's enough to create the desired effect for me. But that's just personal. That's just how I do it. But for me, I do that because dancing, rhyming, using a certain tone of voice, it creates a heightened sense of emotion and a real energetic charge. And I'm a person who believes that magic comes from within, as within, so without, as below, as above, so below. So I believe that when I create a change within myself, automatically I change, create a change in the world around me. So I'm not really calling in like spirits to go out and do my bidding. Even when I do, um, I sell that uh, little tutorial on my website for 10 bucks, uh, creating thought forms that spring to life from my perspective, thought forms, some people call them servitors, those are actually extensions of yourself. That's how I personally see it. Other people see it differently. So I actually named my thought form in that tutorial, Shazam, <laughs> which further demonstrates what I'm saying here today. Shazam is like a word that uh, you'll hear people use <laughs> when they're being funny about magic. And I also like my magic with a sense 
of humor, which is why I'm not above using pop lyrics, for example. But kind of going back to this idea of, you know, have you ever heard somebody read out loud, like in class, and you just want to like poke your eyes out with a pencil or your ears because it's just the most boring thing you have ever heard in your life. And it's not necessarily a reflection of the words on the page. It's the delivery. You know, there's teachers, Bueller, 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 that you're just like, shut up, <laughs> shut up, shut up. Um, so to me, that's a good example of how words aren't enough in and of themselves, perhaps they can be, but there's so much further you can go by the way the words are presented. And this is something that preachers, motiv motivational speakers, and some politicians, they understand this innately. I'm thinking of people like Jim Rohns and Tony, Tony Robbins or Billy Graham. Um, or a really awesome example of this is uh, Sam Kinison, who actually grew up I think in a family of preachers, he grew up in the church. I think his dad was a preacher maybe. And he was a preacher. And then he went into comedy and he used that exact same delivery to just really shake people up and kind of do the exact opposite of what he was doing in church. But he learned the power of talking like that and how it really almost evokes in and of itself, just that tone of voice and that insistence. And it's like, it raises energy in people that starts moving beyond the words. It empowers the words. Um, someone who does this really well, who I listened to for a long time and now I kind of, I'm not gonna lie, I'm sorry if you're a fan of this guy, but I, I wish he did not exist, maybe not just as a person, I'm okay with him sharing the planet with this guy, but I wish he didn't have the voice he has for the public, and that is Alex Jones. He has gotten more and more melodramatic with every passing year. He's gotten further and further into conspiracy theories and altered, falsified documents and videos and taking things out of context, and it doesn't matter. Like, his audience just grows and grows and grows, because of the way he talks. <laughs> and this, you know, it's almost like you can say anything if you say it with enough conviction and you yell and your face is red and you see a lot of this and um, maybe not the politicians so much, but in the, in the people that are, that have a stake in furthering that line of thinking or supporting that candidate, or, you know, it's just, we have this on both sides. Um, in America, Democrats and Republicans, people that want to further that agenda. And then they learn how to harness that Sam Kennison power of activating words. And you don't have to yell either. That's just one style. An eerie, calm confidence can be even more effective. And this is something that pathological liars have down pat for many years of practice, which all pathological liars have, thus the pathological. <laughs> um, and because I've had my share of entanglements with a pathological liar or two in my past, I'm especially sensitive to that kind of delivery. It always just whoop, gets my little antenna up. And the VP, the vice presidential debates that we just had a couple of week weekends ago, 
really showed the power. I'm not accusing anyone of being a pathological liar here. I'm just pointing out that style of delivery. It really showed the power of that kind of unflinching, stone-cold delivery against a more passionate delivery. So, for example, Tim Kaine was so easily ruffled, and he, like, really wore his emotions on his face. He could, like, barely keep it together. Every time Mike Pence said something that he didn't agree with or he took offense to, which really did not do anything to further his cause, he couldn't keep it together. <laughs> and I mean, he did all right, but it was noticeable in my opinion. And this was especially in evidence when he, Tim Kaine, he'd repeat something that Donald Trump said verbatim. And then Pence would then ever so coolly shame him for running a smear campaign like, tisk tisk, you poor depraved fool. <laughs> when all Kane was doing was repeating things that Trump himself was actually quoted on record for having said. And Pence's response was so chill, so remarkably laid back and confident. It was almost self-righteous, like, oh, shame on you, Tim Kaine, for saying such horrible things. All the while sidestepping the giant elephant in the room, which was the fact that his candidate was the one who said those things in the first place and meant them. And I was watching this just like sweating, like, oh, no, this is genius. <laughs> Mike Pence is a genius. Pull it together, Tim Kaine. Pull it together. And who did the majority say won that debate? On performance alone, it was Mike Pence. But really, isn't it all just one big performance? Isn't that what the majority of at least those online polls are measuring? People aren't, for the most part, running to Google to fact check all the statements made during the debate. They're just passing around funny Facebook memes after and sticking with whatever candidate they were already with to begin with. <laughs> um, but when I was watching that, it made me think of this moment in Working Girl, which I talk about all the time. It's one of my favorite movies. Tess McGill is at the top of my pop pantheon. So forgive me if you've heard it all before, but there's and this is a spoiler because this happens at the end of the movie. So if you haven't seen the movie and you want to see the movie, it's been out for over two decades now, I think. But um, if you still intend to watch it, if you haven't yet, just plug your ears. So basically, Tess McGill is the underdog. She goes to work for this woman who she thinks is going to help her come to find out this woman actually just is stealing her ideas. So in the end of the movie... Um, this woman, the bad guy, is played by Sigourney Weaver. She says very, like, you know, like she's just uh, in a very self-righteous, calm way. She points to Tess and says, well, I was laid up with broken bones. She rifled through my desk, found my memo, outlining a trash radio acquisition, and has been passing it off as her idea. She accuses Tess of doing what she herself did. She just flat out lies, but she says it with such conviction in a room full of people that are inclined to believe her that Tess is like the Tim McCain. <laughs> she's just like in this squeaky little girl voice, but she's lying. And then she looks around the room and she sees nobody is going to believe her at all. And she just like slowly backs out of the room and is apologizing to people, even though she was telling the truth, Tess McGill. And Sigourney Weaver's character was lying. So that's kind of how, 
that particular debate made me feel she's lying. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So again, it's about like the power of words and the way they are presented. Um, but then when a word is just on a page, it's interesting how it comes to life in different ways for different people. And this is something I know very well as a book nerd and a reader. I love to read and I love movies, but books are very different than movies because to me, it's a collaboration between the reader and the writer and no two readers read the same book because we're bringing to it our own personal experience, our own triggers, our own memories, our own emotions. And so I think when you're looking at just words on a page, you're getting into a more uh, maybe pure form. Spoken words can be influenced so much by inflection, which is something important to know when you're performing magic. You definitely want to use that to your advantage. Um, but just exploring the way that words are one. I've actually told this story before and come to find out people are saying it's an urban legend. I've always attributed this to Ernest Hemingway whose work I really love. I went through a big phase with him. Uh, and the way the legend goes is that he was showing off because his whole thing was economy of words, like using as few words as possible to say the most. And that the fewer words you can use to make your point, the more of a punch you pack. I think that's true. I'm a, I'm a fan of the economy of words. I think it's really effective despite my ramblings here. <laughs> um, but to show off and to demonstrate this, he supposedly said, um, I, I can do this in six words. I can tell a complete three act structure that will move you in complete in six simple words. So I'm, I'm going to say the words to you now, if you've never heard it before, listen line by line to what I'm about to say and let each word really settle into your heart. And I think it will demonstrate for you the point of this legend. <laughs> And it goes like this, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Ta-da! <laughs> words are wands. <laughs> I just mentioned this economy of words things. I was actually talking about Twitter, which I'm such a fan of because it forces an, econ an economy of words on us, which I think kind of supports, it lends itself well to humor and to making your point without rambling on. But I was talking about how Charles Bukowski, I went through a huge Charles Bukowski fan. He was very formative to who I became as a writer, especially as a lyricist. And for me, his poetry really demonstrated the power of words, the power of an, the economy of words. And one of my favorite lines is one of the most famous lines of any of his poems. And it is, some people never go crazy. What truly horrible lives they must lead. And that in and of itself stands alone. <laughs> First you get this picture, some people never go crazy. And then you get this commentary on it, what truly horrible lives they must lead. I recommend reading the whole thing, the entire poem, because it, um, it's called uh, Some People, because it really demonstrates how he used words to romanticize his poverty and addiction, which was highly effective. And it's influenced generations of young men and women to do the same, probably to their detriment. Um, but still, <laughs> I loved him. 
perhaps it was to my detriment at the time. Um, perhaps it fed into my poverty mentality. Perhaps I was attracted to him because I had a poverty mentality. <laughs> but nonetheless, I think I turned out all right. Um, and before I get off that particular subject, I'll just say one more thing about Charles Bukowski. His book, Ham on Rye, he said something in that book that really encapsulates the whole point of today's episode. He said, words weren't dull. Words were things that could make your mind hum. If you read them and let yourself feel the magic, you could live without pain, with hope, no matter what happened to you. That is quite the statement that you could live without pain, with hope, no matter what happened to you. <laughs> Uh, and you might argue with that statement. It, it's a bit romantic, but I do love when he says words are things that make your mind hum. And if you if you read them and let yourself feel the magic, he's clarifying, then you can live without pain, with hope. So it's really about how far do you let the words in? And when you're crafting a spell, if you're going to use words, if you're going to write an incantation, you have to be able to receive the words, but also you want to choose words, in my opinion, that already have an effect on you. Uh, both are important. But when he says, if you let yourself feel the magic, you can live without pain, you could live with hope. It really makes me think of, I don't know why I keep talking about politics. It's so hard not to talk about politics right now. I don't care who you vote for. I do care, but I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. Let me say it that way. <laughs> um, but I just keep coming up with these examples because on my, my mind right now. So when he says you could live without pain, you could live with hope, it reminds me of the winning campaign that Obama ran, the one that got him into the highest office in all the land that had people chanting all together, yes, we can, yes, we can. His whole campaign was hope, and he got people to write and say, and even more powerfully say with passion, and even more powerfully say with passion in large groups of People holding up signs, they had the written word, they had the spoken word, they had the passion, they had a group mentality, chanting, they had, yes, we can, yes, we can. And I am fully convinced that that had a lot to do with getting him into office. It was very, very powerful. Um, whether you like him or not, whether you wanted him there or not, I think if you're able to take your politics out of it, you could look at that and see like, oh my God, that was so powerful. That's the power of a rock star. That's the power of a preacher. That's the power of a magical incantation. And even the Bible, one of the most quoted passages in the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then here's the part that really gets me. And the word was God. The word was God. What does that mean? <laughs> the word was God. I guess it depends on what the word God means to you. And then there we go again, looking at the power of words. Some God is the most powerful word in existence and should never be taken in vain. For others, it conjures great resistance, which further underscores the power of words and spellcrafting. If one simple three-letter word, God, 
got, the opposite of dog. <laughs> if one simple, it's the same letters and it's just an opposite arrangement. If one simple three-letter word can generate such awe and such reverence in some people and then just, just such rage and anger in others, does that not say, hey, there's magic to be found in and stringing these funny little squiggles of ink and air together in such a way. <laughs> uh, and again, that comes back to know thyself, know thyself, know which words empower you, know which words set you back. We all have different triggers. We all have different memories and traumas in our past and Words come to symbolize those things for us. Something that I am noticing that is driving me cuckoo that I have been dying to say that I'm so excited I finally get to say right now is pussy. Oh, my God. This is so crazy. I just recently mentioned in the episode I did with Don Champagne and then in the episode, follow-up episode I did on Patreon, how Regina um, Thomas Sauer, she's the woman behind Mama Gina's School of Womanly Arts, her latest book that just came out is called Pussy, a Reclamation. And <laughs> the name of the book is pretty shocking. It's especially shocking that Hay House actually published the book. Good old New Age Hay House is like <laughs> putting out a book with the word pussy slashed across the title. Um, and it's meant to empower women. It's meant to teach them to take back their power. And then weeks later, we have like Pussygate. We have all these people up in arms because of Trump saying, you know, he grabs women by the pussy, which was very, very triggering for people and launched this whole online campaign where women were talking about sexual assault because something about that triggered their memories of sexual assault. Not something about it. I mean, he was bragging about assaulting women that way. But it's interesting how this word pussy was just all of a sudden like thrust into uh, public awareness. And we're all talking about it for one reason or another. And then you have these complete polar opposite expressions of it. So it's funny. It's like, I remember listening to an interview with Regina Thomas Hour and talking about how she fretted and fretted and fretted over actually using that word in the book and how she tried other words, but they didn't quite have the same impact. And she was worried it was going to hurt her family. She was worried it was going to destroy her career, um, but she knew it was the right thing to do. So she did it anyway. Could she ever have predicted that a couple weeks later, this word would <laughs> be like, thrust upon us in the most dramatic international like hubbubby kind of way it's it's almost like she called all of those shadows all of that past trauma all of those triggers up to be healed and I don't even think she knew that 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 was happening but it's interesting how putting that word on the cover of a book that has gone around all the podcasts and all the top interview shows and is getting a heavy push from Hay House and some of our most prominent thought leaders. It's like, did they do that? Did they say the word pussy? And that like brought this up to the surface. I wonder about that. And I'll stop saying pussy because now I want to say moist. <laughs> and I'm, I am not trying to like, upset you. If I am, I apologize. But that was another word that came to mind when I wanted to talk about the power of words today, because that is a word. And this has happened to me many times. 
I've innocently said the word moist only to find out that is a word that some people will stop you stop you mid-sentence for saying like, ooh, oh my God, don't say that word. It gives me the creeps. Um, and then for others, it might turn them on or it might make them hungry for cake. So it's important to know how certain words make you feel if you're going to craft your own spell around the use of words or a magical incantation. I had a friend who wouldn't let me say the word peach. Every time I said the word peach, she'd take her thumbs and push on her front teeth and be like, oh, don't say it. It freaks me out. <laughs> what the hell is with that? Why can't I say peach? I don't know. It's personal. It was personal to her. So if you're going to write a spell to affect change within yourself, it's important that you know yourself. If you want to impact masses of people, your task is even greater because then you need to know your target audience and you need to choose your words very carefully in both instances, but especially if you're trying to reach a really big audience. I think the first time outside of poetry, I've been writing poetry and lyrics forever, but in a metaphysical sense, the first time I really started considering the power of words was when I got into the new age community and was using positive affirmations. Um, Louise Hay's book, you can speaking of Hay house, her book, you can heal your life. Oh my God. I've read that book so many times. It has this cool, these affirmations where you can look up the symptom that you're experiencing in your life. And then there's an affirmation that's supposed to work for you. Some work better than others. I think that's because what I'm saying, we're all unique. And words are very personal for us. Uh, and I really, with all the things that I've learned about magic and metaphysics and mysticism and law of attraction, I've kind of gone through the same tra trajectory with it all. It starts out with me very, and this is true of affirmations. I'm, I go through this period of like naive beginner's luck where I just do exactly what I'm told to do and it works and I'm excited and then I kind of get to a point of mastery where I can make it work like all the time. And then I start getting to a point of customization where I start like questioning, like, why do we have to do it this way? Why can't we do it that way? <laughs> and then I get to a point where it's like personal mastery, where I'm completely rewriting the rules to suit myself. And kind of it's all gone that way for me, all of it for better or worse. That's, that's what my magic is made up of. That's kind of the way it was built, piece by piece. Um, but in terms of affirmations, there's like a lot of superstition around that in the new age community. Like you have to use positive affirmations. You have to say your affirmations in the present. So you can't say, um, say them in the future because they'll never come to pass. You have to say it in the present. Like I am rich. I am rich. I am sexy. I am sexy rich. Uh, <laughs> Um, because if you say, I want to be rich or I will be rich, you're just keeping it. You're affirming that it's in the future and the future never comes. So there's a lot of superstition around that. And you never want to use a negative affirmation like I am not poor. I am not poor. I am not sexy um, because because your mind doesn't know the difference. And it's just affirming not sexy. I don't agree with that. I really got to a point pretty early in my affirmation career where I started questioning that. And I've come to a place where I don't believe that affirmations have to be positive by new age standards to create a positive change. And I've got two great examples of that. Uh, one that I started using to great effect 
when I would say I refuse to abandon myself. And another that I picked up from my friend Lenora last year that I still use all the time is I refuse to be inertia's bitch. Um, those are negative. Those break all the rules <laughs> according to like new age woo woo superstition. But you know what? They work for me. They get me into action. They make me feel empowered and strong. Uh, I wrote a piece uh, a year or two ago. I don't remember on the sacred bitch. Um, where and bitch is a word I've had a lot of problems with in my life. I equate it to kind of like the N word for women. I will not say the N word. If you don't know what the N word is, fine. I'm not going to ever say that here. And that's a promise because that word scares the shit out of me. It's so loaded and it freaks me out when people say it, even people that are reclaiming it for themselves. <laughs> and I used to really feel that way about the word bitch, which is why I worked on kind of reclaiming that word as best I could for myself. It's still very loaded to me. I don't like the way that word is used when it's directed at women in a certain way. And it's been directed at me in a certain way, both internally and externally. I don't love it. So um, the winter transition module for Samhain for Halloween, that's the next module in the Psycho Spiritual Wheel of the Year. The Crafty Witch project for that is I'm teaching you how to transform your shadow on paper. And the example that I used was the bitch and transforming my inner bitch into a kind of sacred bitch. And um, because this is shadow stuff for me to work through. But then I also wrote a, a piece about that in which I said, the word no is a complete sentence. And I'm pretty sure no is not positive by woo woo standards, but it's empowering for a lot of women. So um, I would say, like, put the rule book down at some time and start playing around with words to see really how do they make you feel, not how should they make you feel according to someone else, what are they supposed to do according to such and such book, but what do they really do for you? Um, Tony Robbins, who I mention all the time, um, he really focuses on what he calls incantations. He's taking a word for magic and using it in the realm of personal development. But he says that incantations are more powerful than affirmations. And I think that's really interesting. I'm sure if you put go to Google and put Tony Robbins and incantations, you can listen to him yell at you about that if you want. <laughs> I like Tony to yell at me while I'm working out sometimes. <laughs> Um, but I think the difference between affirmation and an incantation is the incantation has a more insistent energy. It's more like a command. And it makes me actually think about some of the things that have gone on in the more evangelical sides of Christianity and Catholicism, where you'll have like a preacher or someone screaming at, at someone who thinks they're possessed by yelling like, I command the demon. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, leave this woman and go back to the hell from which she came. Be gone. And you'll see this on camera. And the woman's like, ah, her eyes are rolling back in her head. And she's vibrating. And she's like, ah. And then, you know, and a few moments later, she's fine. And she's healed. And everybody's hugging her. And she's celebrating. That's the power of an incantation. I don't doubt that her experience is real that the power of those words strung together and the way they were delivered as an incantation, demons, I command thee, 
I think that's where the power is. I don't necessarily believe that there was this demonic entity living inside of her that this super talented, awesome Christian called forth. I, I actually think that the demon was is within her. And I could analyze that so far. I see I have already gone 10 minutes over time. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Incantations versus affirmations. Um, it's interesting, too, how we bless each other with words. There is an autistic man in, in a neighborhood program my son goes to on Mondays and Thursdays. His name is Jerome. And I don't know how old he is. He has gray hair. He looks like he's in his mid-50s, coming up on 60. I can't tell. Sweet, angelic eyes that just break your heart and this beautiful, kind, happy look on his face all the time. And if you try to talk to him or shake his hand, he says one thing, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. But what's fascinating is the look in his eyes is just pure love to the point where I've like wondered, is Jerome an angel? Like, what is he doing running around telling everybody, God bless you with that blissed out, beautiful, loving look on his face. Um, but the words, God bless you, the blessings that we say over our food, what are we doing when we do that? Why are we saying words over our food, gathered around, holding hands as a family or our hands in prayer pose? What are we doing? We're doing magic, people. We do our magic. And people all around the world, many, many generations back, have known the power of words. We know that words are wands, and we incorporate it into every day of acts of magic all the time. Poetry is magic. If you're going to craft a spell for yourself, and you've got a big old pile of Wicca one-on-one books, Wicca one-on-one, <laughs> Wiccans one-on-one, <laughs> Wicca one-on-one, <laughs> I'm going to do it again. <laughs> This is what I get for talking about words. Wicca 101 books, you know, and you're like flipping through and you're trying to find some incantation or spell that resonates with you, but nothing's really sticking or it all feels very archaic or flowery. Just go flip through some poetry books um, or look for poems online. And I feel that that is just as legitimate and just as effective. Um, I personally choose to do spells to empower myself, to get myself into alignment with what it is I want to receive. So um, I might use a blurb from William Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus, which is one of my all-time favorites. I love the whole poem. So I might use the whole thing, or I might just use the final stanza if I'm doing something like Witching on the Go, um, because the final stanza really packs a punch. For me, it calls up the entire poem because I've said the poem so many times. It's just a little like trigger that pulls up the energy of that whole poem for me. But um, I think it stands alone too. The last stanza goes like this. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the I am the captain of my soul. The blog talk radio lady just yelled at me. 90 seconds. It scared me. <laughs> Whoosh. Major adrenaline rush. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Another thing I love is Beyonce's song Formation. A lot of times when I need to like pump myself up about something, or if I'm already pumped up about something, I'll run around saying or 
thinking in my head, I slay, cause I slay, cause I slay, cause I slay. What am I talking about? Am I talking about slaying dragons? No, I'm talking about cause I rock, cause I rule, cause I'm awesome. Get the fuck out of my way because I slay, I slay, I slay, I slay. So I invite you to look at the everyday words that impact you, the poems that inspire you, the songs that inspire you. The next time you're crafting a spell with intention for yourself, Think outside the box of positive affirmations, the box of the classic affirmations you're supposed to use, the classic incantations you're supposed to use. Write your own spells. Work with what works for you. And until we meet again, much love. Peace.